from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face-to-face. -face. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. If you have family or friends who can't watch Heart of the Matter on television, they can go to www.hotm.tv and watch it live streaming from anywhere in the world. I Was a Born Again Mormon is a book that kind of started it all. We've now made it available through PDF download. You go to bornagainmormon.com, look for download or whatever it says, and you can click on that and you can print it. But let me tell you, we are going to print in about three weeks. We will have hard copies of Born Again Mormon back in our hands. So uh, that's good news. We'll let you know more about that as it comes up. In a world of extreme opinions and endless philosophical views, how about going straight to the Word of God? In a never-denominational uh, Bible study, join us each and every Sunday at one of our campus Bible studies for a verse-by-verse -verse examination of God's Word. Go to www.calvarycampus.com for more information like times and directions. And by the way, all the teachings except for a past few have been recorded and are available uh, for uh, MP3 download. You can listen to them audio there online as well. Last week, we, uh, I held up a newspaper and talked about how it talked about color Thomas Monson and, and do puzzles that say nothing about Jesus, but talk about, the uh, talk about the Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants, temples, Moroni, gold plates, but not the Bible, not Jesus. And somebody called and said, you're holding up a fake. That is not from a real newspaper. And on the other side, we had all the pictures of the apostles etc. Well, actually, it is a real newspaper. It's the Daily Herald, known as, quote, Utah Valley's number one source for news and information. And uh, it's from Provo, Utah. And uh, they had a special section called LDS Week, which was published March 28th of 2010. And that's where that segment came from. Uh, also, every Sunday afternoon from 1 to 2 p.m., Heart of the Matter is rebroadcast for your listening pr pleasure on KUTR, uh, The Truth, AM 820. And The Truth offers some real, uh, really interesting radio programming and has graciously added Heart of the Matter to its uh, venue. So check it out from 1 to 2 p.m. Sunday afternoon right there on your radio dial, AM 820, KUTR, The Truth. Driving through downtown Salt Lake City last week, Driving through downtown Salt Lake City last, I mean, last week, 
I got behind an old man and he was in a van and when I got alongside of him, I recognized him and he is a retired professor of humanities from Utah, uh, University of Utah. And um, I, I recognized him and I just kind of thought, well, that's interesting to see him. I just read about him about a month ago. And then um, he cut in front of me and, and he was all over like every lane in the highway and, and stopping when you're supposed to go and going when you're supposed to start. And I was really tempted for about 20 seconds to say, he doesn't know what he is talking about when it comes to the humanities because he doesn't know how to drive a car. Now, ever since our ministry began back in 2005, LDS Defenders of the Faith, primarily in blogs and on online forums and emails, have attacked my person. Those are ad hominem attacks. And this is a standard operational procedure for people trying to defend and protect the group or organization from defenders or attackers. In the book, The God That Failed, the author explains that this is the first tactic communists take when dealing with a defector who tries to assassinate, uh, and they do that by trying to assassinate their person. He has never been a communist. He was a very bad communist. There was something dark about him. He, he was never really truly one of us. You know, and Mormon defenders are really no different. Since forming the ministry, these self-appointed apologists, along with some Christians, have accused me of almost every immorality and failure you can imagine. And now, and again, just recently, even some well-meaning Christians, they will come up and they'll say things. You know, I read online, Sean, this. Is it really true? Are you really a homosexual? Or are you... Uh, uh, you, did you commit adultery? Or um, are you really a pedophilic transvestite who kills baby seals? I mean, it's just unbelievable the things that they come up with. And, and, and they're worried that uh, because I might not do so well at driving that then I'm not reliable in teaching or sharing facts. And, and they, were, they are tempted by the same thing that I was tempted to with that Retired professor, let me make some points really clear because this is kind of out there right now, hot on some of the blogs. Uh, in my flesh, and I've said this before, I am capable of doing and being nearly everything reprehensible to God. Uh, I am not personally by nature and even at times by intention uh, a good guy. Uh, where Jesus is perfect and is holy and is worthy of all adoration, uh, I as a fallen human being am his uh, negative reflection. I'm not worthy. I don't uh, want to be viewed as worthy. Uh, I don't want to be seen as anything but a, saver, uh, a sinner saved by grace. Now this position of mine makes people very uncomfortable because they want heroes in life. And you want a hero? Look to Jesus. Um, you want someone who is worthy? Look to the cross. Look to the Christ. Look to God. Uh, and while Jesus is all things light and good, and I have at times been all things dark and wrong, know this, I do believe in him. I have faith in him completely, and he is my king, and we will do all in our power to direct people who are seeking truth and seeking to be free from themselves to him. In my spirit, like Paul said, I am wholly saved and loved by God as his friend and child. 
while in my flesh, if I let it rule, I will always, in some way or another, serve the law of sin. All right, now, before we go on to prayer, generally speaking, there are very few things that really scare me about Mormonism, and it might be because I spent 40 years active in the LDS Church, and I kind of rationally can understand why they do many of the things that they do. Certainly, there are some disturbing factors about the religion, but most of it, when contextually understood, can be neutralized by their historicity or uh, by their theology. For me, the freak-out topics include the teaching that God was once a man, that Jesus and Satan are our spirit siblings, and the fact that in their temple film, uh, after members go in the temple and promise to keep all these impossible-to-keep covenants, Satan, uh, the, the actor who plays Satan in the film, looks at the audience and says, let me tell this audience, if you don't live by every single covenant and commandment you've made in this temple this day, you will be in my power. That freaks me out too. That's, that's hair-raising, scary stuff. Well, recently I found another freak-out factor. Um, and it only serves to remind us how vital it is to trust and rely on the Word of God and not on men who say they receive revelation for God that uh, supersedes the written Word. Uh, most Bible-believing Christians know that the time will come when a man known as the Antichrist is going to show up on the world scene. Christians know that he is going to demand allegiance and that he will demand that all worship him. Now that worship, I don't believe, is in a religious sense, but it is in a civil sense, in a economic governance sense. He is going to require, according to the book of Revelation, that all receive a mark in their, uh, in their skin. And some have supposed this to be some type of barcode or ID number, which will allow those who accept it to engage in commercial trade or in other words, to buy and sell with each other. If you don't receive the mark, you're not gonna be able to be involved in commercial trade. Faithful Christians also know whether they are pre-trib or, or post-trib or Salt Lake trib in their eschatology, that they ought to never accept the mark in their flesh, which would be required by this Antichrist. Almost baby Christians know, don't put the mark in your flesh of this, any kind of identifying mark in your flesh. And on this, the Bible's emphatic. Now, interestingly enough, as sort of a parallel, Christians are not too legalistic about getting tattoos. While some uh, believers do not really like them, and some Christians are a little stiff on them, there's others who go get them and they don't think anything about it. Well, Mormons are highly legalistic regarding tattoos and have, and have condemned them as unholy and impure from the get-go. So there is the Mormon Christian stage for what I'm about to tell you. First, Christians trust the Bible and what it says. Second, Mormons trust modern-day revelations that men uh, who call themselves prophets, seers, and revelators say over what the Bible says. Third, Christians today often get tattoos without a care, but Mormons have made them anathema. And fourth, Christians, uh, however, would never get a government ID in their skin because of what the Bible says. But what about the Mormons? Uh, what would they accept? Would they accept the mark? With their high allegiance to wealth, do you think that would happen? What about their devotion to um, the corporate world or the one world nation? What will the Mormon leaders tell their people when it comes time to getting a mark or identification mark to buy and sell? 
Well, listen to the advice from one Bruce R. McConkie, who, though now deceased, was highly esteemed as an LDS prophet, seer, and revelator when he was alive. Speaking about tattoos, McConkie wrote in his Mormon Doctrine, page 775, quote, Tattoos are permanent marks made on the skin by puncturing it and filling it with punctures and filling the punctures with indelible ink. Thank you for telling us that, Bruce. No one knew that. And then he writes, the practice is a desecration of the human body and should not be permitted unless all that is involved is the placing of a blood type or an identification number in an obscure place. That's unbelievable to me. Could it be, my friends, that the time may come when millions upon millions of LDS people could be led by their leaders in the name for economic gain or economic stability to tell them, hey, it's okay to get this ID mark that you're going to uh, be required to have to be uh, successful financially? Could it be they're actually setting themselves up as a one world power? Think, then run like hell in the opposite direction. And with that, let's have a prayer. Lord, we love you and need you. I need you tonight as we try to present this information. And uh, we pray for our audience and for people who are seeking for truth. And let them turn to you, God, and to seek truth through you. And that we can open up eyes uh, with your word as we share it as you want us to. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are going through the alphabet and comparing what the LDS say about certain biblical uh, themes and then what the Bible actually teaches. Tonight we come to the E's. And while our topic is fairly straightforward, it's about Elijah the LD and the LDS and the twist they've put on it. It's not the most exciting topic and it's going to be a little bit shorter than others. But it's really important for us to have this in the library just as another arrow in the quiver of all things wrong with their doctrine. In the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 and 6, it reads, Behold, I will send Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. What does this mean? And then what do the LDS twist it to mean? First of all, Elijah was a tremendous prophet of the Old Testament. In fact, no prophet is more frequently mentioned in the New Testament than Elijah. There are a number of things we could talk about considering Elijah, how he was taken up in a whirlwind and how he came back on the Mount of Transfiguration, etc. But in reference to Malachi 4, 5, 6, he is a powerful image uh, coming from the Old Testament and then being pictured or manifested in a being of the New Testament. That being is John the Baptist. How? Well, first of all, they were outwardly very similar. Uh, Elijah lived closely in the wild wilderness and including a very long time of retirement in the dry and barren desert. So did John the Baptist. Then suddenly Elijah, like John the Baptist, entered into his ministry with this abrupt start. We just, it, just, it just happened. And John the Baptist was a little bit similar. Elijah and John the Baptist even wore similar clothing. 2 Kings 1.8 says of Elijah, quote, He was a hairy man and girt with a girdle of leather about his loins. So you get a picture of Elijah of the Old Testament. 
out there in the desert, hairy, wearing leather about his loins. And Luke 3, 2 says of my biblical hero besides Christ, John the Baptist, and the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leather girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. The comparison between the two is enhanced in the fact that both Elijah and John the Baptist were stern and powerful in their reproofs, and they, without hesitation, aimed those reproofs at anybody who stood in their way of the message they had to give, including powerful men of religious or secular position. In other words, John the Baptist was in the spirit and power of Elijah, who was austere in his manner and of his life and his zeal for truth and his renunciation of the world. And uh, he was prophesied that he would come and prepare the way of the Lord. It's not an accident that John the Baptist would be asked repeatedly when he was alive if he was this Elias. Okay, now this is really important for your understanding. Elias is just the Greek name for Elijah. Just understand that. There is no other Elias. The LDS make this whole big thing about there being these Eliases in their Doctrine and Covenants and stuff, and that, that's an actual person. That is not true at all. It's Elijah, and Elias is simply Elijah in the Greek, okay? So when John the Baptist was around, everybody all through the New Testament in the Synoptic Gospels, and even in John, are saying, hey, are you the Elijah? Are you the one who's supposed to come? So under the impressions of the Holy Spirit, Malachi offered this prophetic utterance as an indication of what would precede Jesus' coming, and then the Old Testament concludes, all right? Now, this coming of Elijah was so prominent to the Jewish mind that anytime someone popped up that was powerful or wore leather girdles, they wondered if they, he was the promised Elijah. So anxious were they for his reappearance when they would have a wedding, they would set a table place and, uh, with a fork and a knife and a chair, and they supposed that maybe Elijah would visit invisibly. But we have already seen that John the Baptist who was the forerunner of our Lord, is the person that Malachi is talking about. To support this, um, in a previous chapter of Malachi, Malachi talks about John the Baptist there too, saying, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me, saith the Lord. And then when we go to Mark 3, Mark quotes uh, John the Baptist as, cry, as one crying in the wilderness, saying, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, and make his path straight. So again, we can see that Malachi, when he talks about the coming of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, it is talking about John the Baptist coming and preparing the way for the Messiah. Finally, to show that this Elijah was produced uh, in, reproduced sort of in the man of John the Baptist, turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 1, verse 13, and let's start reading. Here an angel comes to Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. He, the angel comes to Zechariah and he says, listen, some things are going to change in your life. Your wife is going to have a baby, and Zechariah was very afraid. And the angel says to him in Luke 1, 13, fear not, Zechariah, for... Thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. And he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the power and spirit of Elijah. All right. 
to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and to the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Right there in Luke, it tells us who this Elijah was and quotes Malachi and applies it to John the Baptist. Okay, so um, this is plain. What did the LDS say about this Elijah? Well, let me give you a quote. This is from Talmadge, uh, James Talmadge in Jesus the Christ, page 375. This is what he says about that. Malachi's prediction that before the great and dreadful day of the Lord, Elijah the prophet would be sent to earth to turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to the fathers did not reach fulfillment in the mission of John the Baptist. Not in any uh, of, uh, not, and not in any other Elias, its complete realization and inauguration on the third day of April, 1836, happened when Elijah appeared in the temple at Kirtland, Ohio, and committed to Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery. So um, what he says there is that Malachi prophesied that Elijah would come and, and, and John the Baptist, Luke tells us that John the Baptist was this man in the spirit of Elijah to prepare the way and to turn the hearts of the, the children to the fathers and the fathers to the children. And James Talmadge in his book, Jesus the Christ, which missionaries take out on their mission and read almost as scripture. If it's not considered scripture, I might be correct in that, but I think it is. He says that is just not true that this Elijah talk, talked about in Malachi is actually fulfilled when he comes and visits Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery, all right? Now, what does it mean that when John, it says in the spirit of Elijah, would turn the heart of the uh, fathers to the children and the heart of the children to the fathers, lest he comes and smites the earth with the curse? There's a number of potential meetings, all of which are really viable. First, and in the bigger picture, there was gross ignorance that was taking place in the hearts of the Jewish people. And they were certainly in need at that time of John the Baptist to be reformed, to have an instructor who would come and without any hesitation, teach them exactly where they went astray. John the Baptist could be seen as such. And so under the spirit of the, uh, under the Holy Spirit and with his zeal for Christ and his fidelity to be true to God in spite of what the powers that be said, he went in and he rebuked and he prepared the hearts of the children for the Lord. In this very expressive figure of speech, just think about this. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the rest of the patriarchs were being represented as having alienated hearts to what the Jews had become. Those were the fathers. And their hearts were alienated to what those children had become. And so John's work was going to help turn the hearts of the children, the current uh, dispensation of Jews to their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the hearts of the forefathers with their true religion to the children then. This is what Jesus was going to do. That's one way that we could look at that. Secondly, in the time of John the Baptist, the Jews were divided into a number of different sects, and without question, those sects would split families up. And so you had, you had parents and children against each other because of these, these sectarian notions that the religious uh, rulers brought in. And so this is another way where John the Baptist came, made it clear, this is the Messiah and could bring families back together. Finally, had the Jews turned to God and received the Messiah through the preaching of John, it's awful final solution that happened in 70 AD to the Jews where the curse was sent would have been avoided. So it was prophetic that he's going to send him to, uh, before the way of the Lord and he'll prepare the hearts of the children and the fathers. But if they didn't receive it, they were going to be destroyed, which is what occurred. Okay, 
So along comes Joseph Smith and Mormonism, but he tells us what this passage really means. And if you get any Mormon manual and you read about temple work, you will see them quote Malachi 4, 5, 6, which we've been talking about. And they'll say that when Malachi said that Elijah would come and return the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the parents, they're talking about genealogy. And they're talking about people going into LDS temples and doing genealogical vicarious temple ordinance work for their dead. And that this is what turning the hearts of the children is to their ancestors and the fathers to their children, maybe children who have passed on. And this is how they define it. And that's why Talmud says what he said. It's twistianity at its best. That's all it is. And any simple scholar or any simple reader of the Bible, all they have to do is a little research can see that Joseph Smith took that Malachi prophecy, which was fully fulfilled and, and, and proven in Luke, and he took it and he applied it to himself. And then he applied that whole spirit, which was uh, meant for Jesus, to the Mormon church and the genealogy that they do. Anybody who wants to know the truth, do the research yourself. Prove me wrong. Go and look at it yourself and prove me wrong. Okay, we're going to open up the phone lines, 801-973-8820, 801-973-TV20. Uh, while the operators are calling your, uh, uh, clearing your calls, uh, we're going to take a time, a second, and look at a spot about our partner's program. Be right you know, when we started in the ministry uh, over four years ago, there was only a few things that we purchased, and one of them was this uh, Howdy Partner sign. And I just want to come to you, invite you to partner with us here in Aletheia Ministries with the good news of Jesus Christ, taking it out into the world, especially the people who are LDS. Why become a partner with Aletheia Ministries? I want to give you three reasons. First, we're a viable ministry. We're growing. We are expanding the emails, the uh, communications uh, show it. Two, we're going national. On June 8th, we are going to be joining with the NRB and hitting another possibly uh, 60 million households uh, every week. And with that comes some uh, added responsibility in the financial department. And then finally, we see a lot of fruit. The Lord has blessed us greatly with people who come out of Mormonism as a result of a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we praise him for that. If the Lord so inclines you and if you uh, believe that you are in a position to help us, we'd really appreciate it. There are three ways to do it. You can first go and write us through the mail, 314 South Redwood Road, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84104. That's the snail mail address. If you want to go quicker, you can uh, email us. Uh, go to hotm.tv. And uh, that will tell you everything on what you need to do online. And then if you want to even get to us in a more timely manner, call us at 888-868-4686. We are really grateful for people who come along and they partner with us in prayer. They are our friends. They support us in whatever way they can. But if you feel so inclined to kind of join with us, partner with us with this monthly commitment, we hope you'll do it. Thanks for watching. We're back. Hey, uh, we have Thomas in Toronto, Canada. We have Michael in Ogden. Uh, and we have a question here. How do I write in my resignation letter? And how do I get my five-year-old son's name removed as well? Uh, go to www.hotm.tv. Uh, no, go to bornagainmormon.com. And that will give you an example of uh, how you do the resignation letter. 
Uh, let me just tell you right now, if you send it to Salt Lake City headquarters, they're going to send it to your local bishop because that way he handles, they say it's an ecclesiastical matter, and that he can tell everybody in the ward that you are leaving the church and so that they can treat you badly once you do. Uh, I'm not saying they all do, but sometimes that happens. And, uh, but so just send it to your bishop, and then he will jump on it uh, accordingly. Sometimes they take a short time, sometimes a long time, sometimes they're very nice, sometimes they're not so nice. It just depends on the bishop. And then it says, and how do I get my five-year-old son's name removed as well? Let me tell you something, it's, it's tough because... I would imagine I'm probably talking to a divorcee and you have to have your spouse's permission too. You're not gonna be able to get your child's name off the records just by you saying I want his name off. It's gonna take your ex-spouse to do the same. So that's how it works. Uh, God bless you, good luck with that. Let's go to Thomas in Toronto, Canada. Uh, Thomas, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean, how you doing, brother? Thomas, doing well, how are you? I'm doing all right, I'm doing all right. I just uh, wanted to share with you this really cool thing kind of happened in my life recently. I yeah. started going to church at the uh, Community of Christ, oh. which, as you know, is like the other half of the Mormon schism. And uh, they have a really interesting stance on the Book of Mormon that I, I don't know if you're aware of. Well, tell me what it is. They look at it as a true work of fiction. Oh, yeah. I've heard that. And they, yeah, and they just kind of use it, uh, you know, they and the other thing that's really neat is they, they openly question Joseph Smith and, like, the early craziness of church history, and they're very candid about it, which huh. is really, really helpful for people coming out of the church. So I just wanted to let all the viewers out there know about uh, this other church group, because I know sometimes when you're coming out of the LDS church, you're going to, like, Baptists or Evangelicals, and they say you're from the occult and all this stuff. So. <laughs> hey, Thomas, that's a really good uh, insight for people to understand. A good halfway house would be the community of Christ. Yeah, hey. and they're fantastic people, too. You know. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. All right, you have a good one, brother. All right, you too. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Just to let the audience know, the Community of Christ, what they were, they used to be called the uh, RLDS, Reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and what happened was when Joseph Smith died, there was a schism. Brigham Young went out here to Utah, and Emma Smith took her sons, three or four sons, and they stayed in Nauvoo. And then those sons became the prophet of the reorganized church. And what he's saying is recently, maybe 10 years ago, the reorganized church said, we're going to call ourselves the community of Christ now. We're going to allow women to hold the priesthood that we have here. We're gonna, they had a lot of things that were very similar, including the Book of Mormon. But what he's saying is the community of Christ church is saying, look, we view the Book of Mormon as fiction. It'll be a great day when the LDS church says the same thing. I mean, there's great fictional books that can help people, and to call them fiction is, is beautiful, but it will certainly uh, demean the place it holds in the hearts of LDS, and that's what he's talking about. So uh, let's go to Michael in Ogden. Uh, second time caller, it says. Michael, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. Uh, yeah, I uh, sent you an interview. I mean, I sent you an email earlier in the week about uh, Genesis Project. And um, well, I just wouldn't, uh, I'm not promoting that at all right now. Uh, all right. Do is, huh? I said okay. Okay, okay. Um, I've got it on mute. Now I have to put my hand in front of the TV so I don't see you. You're mixing me up. <laughs> the Old Testament, like, you know, in the Old Testament when they had the genealogical records, um, well, that's the first question, or you can take it whatever. The second question I have is, um, you guys, where can I meet, like, as this ex-ODS? Do you guys still do the squattish? 
and um, and then the most important one. This is a comment. Um, do people realize? Because I wasn't born in the LDS. I wasn't baptized. I wasn't a cradle LDS. Yeah. Cradle woman. Yeah. The baptismal interview. You ever seen the baptismal interview nowadays, Sean? What it consists of is unreal. Is it? Yeah, I don't remember Peter on the day of Pentecost or whatever, or when you know when he he baptized three thousand people, asked them questions like, "Are you on parole? Have you ever had homosexual activity? Things like that." Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? That's that's what's on now. That's yeah. what it's on. Hey, really good call, Michael. I'll answer your question off air. Yeah, the genealogical records in the Old Testament, please, and where to meet, squatters or what. And Sean, I love your show. I check out your email all the time. I mean, you're, um, you're streaming all the time. And, uh, oh, good. Just uh, good job, man, and I hope things work out well as you go national. Have a good night. Thanks, Michael. God bless. Uh, in terms of squatters, we don't do, uh, we, after the show, people who are in the audience, sometimes they go to local restaurants. We get together then. But we don't do an official a pastor in the pub anymore because of a number of freaky things that were going on with the old pastor in the pub. So we stopped doing that. Now, in terms of genealogy, this is really important. People want to know why there's all these genealogical records in the Old Testament. How come in, in Matthew and Luke, there's these genealogies that are listed too? And then in the New Testament, you'll find out the genealogies really aren't important. Why? Well, the Jews, it was really important that they knew their genealogy because only their, pre, their Levitical priests, they had to be of a certain heritage. And the Messiah had to be of a certain uh, genealogical line. So they kept these genealog genealogical records. They were very, very important to them. Okay? And then they kept them, guess where? In the temple. And then what happened in 70 A.D.? Uh, the genealogical records were completely decimated. The Jews don't even know who they're, who's uh, uh, of the tribe of Levi anymore. They don't know who can really officiate truly anymore, and maybe in some cases they do, but not in all. And they were wiped out, and the Romans came in, and they just obliterated genealogy. Why? Because God said, look, it, it, we're not under that priesthood system anymore. It's done. The veil's ripped in two. All come to me now. There's no more sacrificial animals in the things. You don't have to worry about that. Genealogy's dead. Mormonism came, and they took genealogy, and they put it back in. They put the veil back up, sewed it back together, put a new temple up, put a holy of holies in there, and put genealogical research in there. And, and Timothy warns against endless genealogies because it's a waste of time. And, and yet people are really into it. So that is the, what happened with genealogy in the Bible. I hope that helps. We're going to anonymous, maybe anonymous again in late and first time caller. Anonymous, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Um, I just wanted to mention to you that, you know, I have to, first of all, Praise that lady that called from Farmington last week. Uh, what a what a fabulous woman for being brave enough to to call and say what she felt about the Mormon Church. 2006, I suffered with cancer. I was alone, didn't have a family. I turned to the Mormon Church. Um, I was basically forced to be baptized. Um, was scared to death. Uh, when I went into that room and realized what was going on, and I had to get up in the circle and watch the film and everything, and you know all the private ceremonies and tried to change my name and everything, I never felt more scared in my whole life that I felt like I was in a cult. Wow. After that time, I have been nothing to them but a service worker. Every time I get sick and I can't do service work for them or I can't fulfill my callings or I can't fulfill my home teaching, they want nothing to do with me. Yeah. I have slowly faded out of the Mormon Church at this point right now, and... Um, 
I thank you for your show because you have made me a, a stronger person for it, and I and I bless you. And what do you what do you, what are you doing now in your in your life in terms of like trying to find the Lord? I've turned to a Christian church, and I'm very happy. Praise God! Great to hear. Thank you so much for your call. I think it'll give a lot of hope to a lot of people. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. Okay, a couple things. We have uh, a caller said, and you know I should have thought of this. They're right. They don't need to worry about the five-year-old because they don't go on record until they're eight. However, I think they are on record. They're just not official members. I think the names of the children are there, and that's going to go into their database. So you might want to check that out. By the way, I have someone else writing, and this is a great verse, talking about Elias and John the Baptist and the Jews wanting to know if when Elijah was going to come. Jesus says in Matthew 17, 11, Elias tru truly shall first come and restore all things. But I say unto you that Elias, remembering Elijah, is already come. And they knew him not, but have done unto him whatsoever they listed. Likewise shall they also uh, suffer the Son of Man. Then the disciples understood that he spake unto them of John the Baptist. So we have it from Jesus' mouth, too, that John the Baptist was this Elijah that came to prepare the way for the Lord. Amazing that they're able to get away from this stuff, away with this stuff. It just blows my mind. Okay, listen, uh, while we're waiting for operators, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. They're clearing you. They're clearing your calls. Uh, Got a question from uh, Alan in the Caribbean about the Old Testament. He was just listening to our podcast in 2009 on grace and faith and a statement that he liked that uh, our natural ability to fall back on the law and the statement that I said that anytime you invoke the elements of the law into your life, your ability to follow Jesus as he told us to follow him is reduced. It's not enhanced. He says, my question is, how much time should we invest in studying the Old Testament? My sense is that there are some great and impressive passages pointing to the cross, but that there are also many temptations therein to fall back on comfortable territory, which we call the law. Is it a matter of priority? Study the New Testament first and then delve into the Old Testament. Any thoughts are appreciated? It's a good question. You know, the, to understand the New Testament, it is vital to read the Old and to understand the beauty of grace and the liberty that we find in Christ and how we are out from under all that bondage because of our faith in him, it's really vital to understand what the Old Testament had the children of Israel under. To have the Bible without the Old Testament is kind of like um, having a mouth without a tongue. Uh, you have your teeth, that you, there's your New Testament, and you can chew your food, but it's hard to really get the most out of it, okay? And, 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 and then the Bible without the New Testament would kind of be like having a tongue but no teeth. You know, you're able to throw the food around in there and gum it to death, but you, it, just, it doesn't really have any bite, you see. And so you want both parts. They go hand in hand. There's little couplets that people memorize. I'm never good at them. And it's like you can't. Anyone know it? Robert, you out there? Yes. Um, the New Testament is hidden in the Old Testament. Hold it. The New Testament is hidden in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament. There you go. So uh, I hope that helps your, uh, your thoughts on that. Let's go to Paul and Leighton, first-time caller. Paul, you're on Heart of the Matter. Oh, hello. Hello, hey, Paul. Sean? Yeah. Hey, how you doing, brother? Doing well. How are you? 
I'm doing good. So I, what I what I called, I, I like listening to you once in a while, mostly when I when my wife lets me. <laughs> she she gets a little scared of uh, of what you're teaching and everything, and yeah. and I don't know. There's no need to fear when the Lord's around, if that makes sense. Amen. Is is she LDS? Uh, she is, uh, but. And it's, I know people that are outside of the faith that, that are afraid of certain things also. Sure, so. sure. So what's happening, my friend? Hey, you know, when you were sharing earlier, you, you kind of, the point of at least my testimony about Joseph Smith is he was a 14-year-old boy, and take it back if he was like with the Israelites, when you were saying there were all these different little churches and all these different little things popping up yeah. and teaching. And and that is why you know that that's why John the Baptist, why Elias, Elias come to John the Baptist at that time, was, okay. was hey wait we got to straighten this thing up and make one church for Christ. Okay. And, and for His coming. And so and so so I was just going to say that that's that's your proof. I you know what you were saying is proving a lot of what Joseph Smith found because if people go to the Book of Mormon and read his story. They will see that, that he was questioning why why is one Baptist minister saying this and another preacher preaching this? Why can't Christ Church be under one whole? Does yeah. that make? Uh, well, let me comment on that. Can I? Oh, certainly. Okay. First, most importantly, what you are reciting to us as history is not the history. It's really important you understand that you are reciting a reconfigured and reconstructed history of Joseph Smith and his youth. And if you want to prove me, if you want to prove me wrong, please go to utlm.org and check it out. Read Grant uh, Palmer's book, An Insider's View of Mormon Origin, and just read about how they have taken these things and they have whitewashed them and rewritten them and given you this very nice looking package about Joseph Smith being a 14 year old boy and all this stuff. Chronologically, it doesn't add up. Secondly, go ahead. Can I ask you, um, because you, you were a member there for a while, what are you seeing the benefit that members are gaining by teaching all this stuff? Are, are they really gaining a whole bunch of money? Because the ones that I do know, and I even know one that was uh, that, that was a general authority, it was a lady, yeah. and I grew up with them close to their family. Yeah. They were the most charitable, most giving, and the hardest working people I've ever known. I, what is she gaining? Okay, I, I, don't get it. I have no argument with the, uh, the social decorum that many Latter-day Saints have. And, and, but I have no argument with the Dalai Lama's social decorum either, or Gandhi's, or uh, 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 Buddha. Okay, So social decorum is one thing, but if social decorum was going to save us, then Jesus didn't need to come. Okay, so in terms of how your neighbor will act toward you when they're being polite, that's fine. But you're asking, what do they gain? Let me tell you what they gain. Having been not LDS for a little time, but for 40 years, you gain a network of uh, uh, support. You're called brother and sister. You get pride in the idea that you're going to become a god. You get the idea that the more holy you are, the more God loves you. You get the idea that you are better than your neighbors who just believe in Jesus when you know the truth and that you have more scripture. Then additionally, what they lose 
is they lose their freedom. They lose liberty. They lose their frickin' mind. And they spend their time in temples doing vicarious work for the dead and trying to dress appropriately and speak appropriately and look appropriately and not, and it reduces the place of Christ in their life. That's all that matters is him in your life as the focal point of your faith. They lose that because they are striving and doing so much extracurricular stuff to become the God they've been promised they can become. So I would suggest that the bottom line thing that they lose by, uh, that they gain by staying a member, an active, faithful, trusting member of the LDS church is pride. Absolutely, it's pride. And that's what they don't want to let go of. It might be pride in their community, pride with their family, pride in their job, pride in their church position, being the bishop. It's all too much to let go. But what did Jesus say? Hey, look, if you love your father and mother more than you love me, you're not worthy of me. They would never entertain that idea. Okay, so I hope that helps, Paul. Oh, no. I mean, I, I see where you're coming from, but your church is, I, you know, it's kind of based on the same thing. It's bringing, you know, people and a community together and yeah. and, and I die and stuff like that. My my hope, Sean, is, is instead of bashing a, a church, though, help people. Well, and I think you are, actually, so I'm not even going to go that way. Let's just keep people coming to Christ because he, he's the ultimate author and finisher of all of our faith. I, I agree with you, Paul, but the problem is what Christ? I mean, which one? You know, the, Islam believes in Christ, too. I mean, which well, Christ do we... there's only one, and you know that, and he's, he's the one sent by his father. All right, so is, is, he, is he our spirit brother? brother? Is he our spirit brother or is he eternal? You know, doesn't that make him a different being in your mind? That he's what? I, I he, that. He's sorry. a created being, our spirit brother, or that he's an eternal God who created everything. Doesn't that make him a different deity in your mind? Well, the other great part of him is that he paid a price. He paid a price for, okay. for me, All know, right. a sinner. So okay, Paul, I, I appreciate your call. And live eternally with him. I think that's awesome, dude. All right, well, I man. What's keep, wrong with we're, I keep, think we're seeing things a lot the same. I, I don't think so, but, but I appreciate your call. You take care, my friend. Bye-bye. Hey, we have 13 minutes on the clock. Am I missing something? Keep going. All right, we're going to go to uh, Jason in North Salt Lake. We might have to skip it. Jason is LDS. You're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. Hey, I've called before, but you told me to call once in a great while, and it's been once and once in a great while now. Hey, my question is, since you were an ex-LDS, this really confuses me. This is what I don't, know, I don't get. Okay, Fence City. You know, like people, they say, oh, you're a fence-sitter or whatever. Yeah. And they've called me a fence-sitter. But the thing is, they're a fence-sitter. The LDS are fence-sitters, too, because think about it. If they, they believe in three heavens, plus they believe in the spirit world, you know, and there's only good and evil. Bad, that's it. That's it. There is no third power. There is no fourth power. And then when you die, they say, oh, you'll just go to a heaven better. Okay, what if I was a little bit better? Well, you'll go to one higher. Yeah, well, it's hard to know where the drawing line is, huh? Like, yeah, they say, they say you'll never go to hell, and I'm like, then what is the purpose of hell then? Jason, we're, having a, uh, you, we're doing a unique thing tonight. It's a great call. We'll ponder on that and talk about it next week. i got to let you go. Listen, um, we, you know we're going national. We announced it last week, and we want to take a minute and remind all of you of where we've been and uh, where God is leading with a heart of the matter highlight. So take a minute and uh, for some food for thought. 
the message I have for people who are of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is only one. Have you been born again through faith in Jesus Christ? From the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face to face. And I'm your host, Sean McCraney. Bottom line is I tried to do what the church suggested to get right with God, and it never worked in my heart. Is it not on? Why did Joseph Smith take teenage girls to be his wives and, and hide it from Emma? You know? He didn't. Yes, he did. What happened was I came to the Lord and I asked him, please give me a new heart. Let me know that I'm approved of you. And the only way that that could happen was that he forgave me of my sin through the blood of Jesus Christ and by his grace and not of anything that I could do. So there's Thomas Monson, president of the church. Let me see me get in line with this. Got to take my glasses off. Uh, there. Listen to Sean McCraney. We're having a, a minor technical disaster. No, he didn't. He had one wife. Oh, yeah? Well, let's pull out a book by Todd Compton and let's read about it. Who's LDS? Who's a, who's a history uh, genius and wrote this book about Joseph Smith's wife called In Sacred Loneliness? had a very difficult time um, having a normal sexual life with my husband. I am so attracted to you. See, this is why I get paid the big bucks. Because I forget to turn my microphone on. I believe the Book of Mormon to be the Word of God as long as it's plagiarized correctly. And so when that happened, then I looked around. Four years I stayed, looked around at my LDS, and I tried to listen for those clues. Do my LDS brothers and sisters feel the same way? Have they had this experience? Do they talk about this? Are people born again? No. Sean, you're not fooling anybody. We all know who you are. And we're watching for you. And check out YouTube, because we're coming, buddy. All right, Michael. Thank you. There he is. Here I am. I'm being threatened with YouTube. Have you abandoned ship yet? Meaning, have you written your letter to be asked from uh, to be removed from the membership records of the LDS Church? So then, let me ask you again, Elder. Why did Joseph Smith take teenage girls and make them their wives? Make them his wife? The then I realized... There's something wrong. And so I left. Reach out and touch faith. Reach out and touch faith. So I want to announce tonight that I'm going to be rebaptized. Don't do it! You liar! Oh, don't! Get him out of here! Get him out of here! Just so everyone knows, I'm doing what Heavenly Father wants me to do. I've prayed. I, I live a good life. I know I can receive inspiration, and that's all. That's what I'm doing. There's also a closet rumor. Uh, that, there's also rumor that I'm a closet homosexual, and. Uh, 
it, it's not true. Not that it really matters, uh, you know, uh, but my, my sexual temptations begin and end with women. John, you're on Heart of the Matter. I'm an active member of the church. I'm in the bishopric where I live, and I have something to say to you. Yes, sir. By the power of the Holy Melchizedek Priesthood, I rebuke you, and I command you to turn from your evil ways. I've watched you uh, over a period of a year, not every, in turn, it's probably I've seen you four times, and you seem to be deteriorating as an individual. Can you respond to that? I can respond to it. Um, Thank you. I hope I'm deteriorating in my flesh. You're a son of perdition, and you're an apostate. And I rebuke you by my priesthood. Do you hear me? Is something supposed to happen now? I'm gonna break. I'm gonna break my. Gonna break my rusty cage. The Mormons often refer to the scripture that says, we liken all scripture unto us. No, it finally occurred to me, we liken all scripture unto him. Mm. Sarah? Um, in the Mormon church, Jesus is just part of the equation. Whereas now, being born again, he is the equation. Uh, heart of the Matter, 200th episode. Praise God. So uh, let me just recap this. Uh, Born Again Mormon, www.bornagainmormon.com, and this television show, and the Lord's Word, and everything that has to do with our ministry is focused on bringing all people to the Lord Jesus Christ, but particularly because of this area, to the Latter-day Saints. Where are you now? I left about eight months ago. I'm going to Grace uh, Bible Church. Praise God. What a great story. Will you call back and share more of it with us in the future? I'll call back next week. But my will gets weak. And my thoughts in this ghetto, but I thank you to God. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Even if, even if you don't love me. Uh, here's a sampling of some of our most ardent fans from the more remote locations in the world. Uh, Vigny and Kajelte in Norway, Magnus Eve Klaus Guillermo from Sweden, Christopher Arthur Michael from Spain, Peter, PJ, Carmen, Darren, Matthew, Chris, Clive, Pete, Louis, Jessica from the UK, Robert and Paul from Scotland, Derny and Abner from Brazil, Carmen Henning, Robert and Callie from Germany, Derek from South Africa, Stefan from Europe, Tom from Japan, Joseph from Russia, Attila from Hungary, Imtiaz, Ben, Christopher, Shayla, Fiona, Alice, Joanna, Brianne, Jeremy, Leon, Arthur, 
uh, Monica, Andre, and Tyler from Canada, Miguel from Belgium, Ravine from Malaysia, Josh from Taiwan, Servine and Peter from France, Janisa from Asia, Tim from India, Carrie from New Zealand, Nicolina from Finland, and Alan and Philip from Australia. LDS 40 years. I came out of Mormonism because the Lord changed my life and it was a call on my life to preach about the differences between Mormonism and true Christianity. All of these fans are a direct result of one man's efforts. Uh, Andreas from Norway, years ago, on his own dime and on his own time, he asked if he could take the time and trouble to post segments of Heart of the Matter on YouTube. This has brought tens and tens of thousands of viewers to our website at HOTM.TV. And it's because of his willingness, our fan base has spread worldwide. Sean, in a billion celestial kingdoms, I never ever thought I would be sending an email to you like this. I was your arch nemesis in 2008 through 2009. I probably posted over a thousand messages on YouTube against you. One day I heard you mention the magical peep stone and the hat that Joseph Smith used during the translation process of the Book of Mormon. You challenged viewers to look it up. Your show and this other person uh, on YouTube got me using my brain a little bit because as you know in the church members are taught not to question. I thank you, I thank you my brother for showing me the light, bringing me out of the darkness into the true and living Christ. Your brother in Christ, Alex. So when I die and go before him, and a Latter-day Saint dies and goes before God, and the Latter-day Saint says, God says, tell me what, why you get to come to live with me. The Latter-day Saint says, well, I did this and I did this, and I, I tried to do that. And I did. I'm going to say, I did nothing. I have nothing of value to give you, but you gave your son for me. And because of that, I have life. His blood cleansed this reprobate that had no other options, and I tried. You know I tried, God, but I have no other options. And he came in, and he reached below the dirt and pulled me up and saved me and made me a better man. So I couldn't get that through trying to be a good LDS man. I couldn't do it. And so I, I got it from him. And I can't renounce that, and I can't change it. And he's put on my heart to help reach the LDS people who uh, so many are burdened. There are some good people who have all the right serotonin levels, and they've made the right choices, and they have the right education, and they got it all together. And I know those families, and my hat's off to them. I'm never going to affect them with my program. But we get those people who live in the trailers who are trying to get to sacrament meeting in their DI clothes. And, you know, the Lord changes their lives. And so I'm so grateful to be a part of that and to be able to do something with uh, the life I've been given. Finally, we have 30 seconds left. I just want you to know that you, you don't have to believe me. You don't believe your bishop. You don't believe your pastor. 
uh, go to the Lord yourself and just, uh, just throw your heart and say, you know, I, I need you in my life. Reveal yourself to me. Open my eyes. Help me see. Believe it. He will come. He will be there. He will reveal himself to you. He promises he will. He does. He has. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter. Thank you.